Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show on the Compete Network. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and today we are actually sharing one of my favorite sessions from the Compete Network's inaugural event, The Winner's Circle. Salesforce's VP of Competitive Intelligence, Dan Hamilton, and Clue's own Senior Director of Product Marketing, Jason Oakley, kicked off the event in their session called Building a Compete Program That's Rooted in Reality. The session was all about how the most successful compete programs are the ones that are in close touch with the reality on the ground. That means building a true partnership with sales, working with them, not just talking at them. Dan also dives into how to be agile and flexible when it comes to differentiation and how being close to the reality on the ground and in the field with customers gives you the evidence you need to bring your findings and competitive recommendations to the boardroom and to your execs. So today we're going to play the entire session for you and we'll include the Q&A session that followed, which was really, really good as well. You can access this session and all the other ones on the Compete Network Community Hub. The link to those is in the show notes below. And then we'll be back to our regular scheduled programming next week with an episode that I just recorded featuring Dooley CEO Chris Hartfigson and our very own Jason Smith. So with that all said, let's get into today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Compete Network's um, first of our inaugural event of the Winner's Circle. So um, this is the first event for the Compete Network. Plenty more to come from this, but excited to to have everyone here today watching and excited to to kick it off. And uh, this first session, I'm really lucky to to have joining me Dan Hamilton from Salesforce. Dan's the VP of Competitive Intelligence at Salesforce. Uh, Dan, thanks for joining me. Yeah. Hey, thanks, man. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, likewise. So I, I'm excited about this session too, because we know about the whole kind of focus of today's event is around competitive enablement across the organization, right? So we know that it's, it's every department within the organization needs to understand how to, how to compete and how to win. And it's not just living within one department, it's everywhere. And so today you're going to hear about, you know, how competitive enablement works across the organization. But for this first discussion, which is just a simple like 20 minute casual conversation between me and you is just talking about how to start your competitive enablement program in a way that roots it in reality. So it's like how to build a competitive function that's rooted in reality. And that actually those words came from you that I know that's the way you think of it. And so yeah. I'm excited to kind of talk about this today. And over the next 20 minutes, we're going to talk about this and stick around too afterwards for a 15 ish minute Q and a too. So based on what we talk about here, I'm sure a lot of people have questions. So stick around and Dan and I'll answer questions after as well. Um, but to just kick it off, Dan, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your career, how you've gotten to the point now where you're a competitive leader at Salesforce. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So geez, I've been in the competitive intelligence world now for, she's been probably a a little over a decade now, so probably 12 years. Uh, I started out working at Fletcher CSI, so kind of did that, uh, you know, CI vendor practitioner consulting project work, which was uh, a pretty amazing experience to be to be honest. Um, we had to learn a lot very quickly, and so I learned a lot about 
all sorts of different industries, technologies. I mean, it was just, it was a great experience. So after that, I left and I worked for one of our clients for a couple of years, uh, PTC outside of Boston. And uh, somehow I found my way to Salesforce about eight years ago uh, doing competitive and it's been an awesome wild ride ever since. So yeah. yeah. Doing competitive at Salesforce for eight years, I'm sure you've learned a ton. It's been a crazy, it's been crazy. It's been crazy. I'll just say that, you know, when I started, we were already a big company. I mean, when I started, I think I was about 11,000 employees or something. And now we're what getting close to 80,000. So it's been uh, a pretty crazy journey for sure. So you've seen, fair to say, you've seen the, the competitive function at Salesforce kind of go from start to where it is now. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say start, honestly. I mean, the competitive yeah. function at Salesforce has been around for a while. I mean, the, one of the, the things I really love about our company is we have a competitive mindset. You know, like if you go look at all the guerrilla B2B tech marketing, you know, textbooks, chapter one is going to be about how Salesforce was hiring, you know, actors to be protesters at the Siebel user conference. Right. So we, we've had a, a very competitive culture from day one. Um, I will say that the competitive team has changed a lot uh, in the eight years that I've been on it. And uh, I think a lot of it actually has to do with like, as your business matures, how does the nature of your competition also mature and evolve? And as a competitive intelligence function, what do you have to do to kind of step up and help guide the company through the new you know, path that you're on as, as things scale and get infinitely more complex? Right. Yeah, I'd imagine Salesforce has gone through, oh man, so many different phases that I think for a lot of people like watching who are at startups, like you haven't even scratched the surface of what a company like Salesforce goes through. And I'm sure as you get to those sure. stages, the way that you compete, those types of functions in the company, they just change, like you said. Oh, it, it changes fundamentally. I mean, there's always, there's always a core spirit that will persist in how we do competitive at Salesforce, but um, the way that we approach addressing competitive opportunities or challenges is, is, is very, very different. I mean, I remember the days when, you know, things were relatively simple and we could tell our sales reps, you know, hell yeah, like you're in a competitive deal against company X, we'll just show them how you use Salesforce on your phone and it's mobile and everything and no one else could do it, right? It's amazing when things are kind of easy that way, um, but it doesn't, that doesn't really work so well now. You know, I, I think one of the uh, great things about being successful as a company is everyone uh, wants to be like you, right? And so um, people try and emulate your functionality, the way that you show up to, to customers, you also become the center of the bullseye. I mean, there is no shortage of uh, startups out there who are receiving funding saying, hey, we're gonna be the next Salesforce. You know, we're gonna out Salesforce, Salesforce. So keeps us on our toes. Yeah, no kidding, yeah, okay. Um... Changing directions just a little bit, but keeping yeah. within the same theme, but, you know, getting to the meat of what we wanted to talk about today for anyone who's watching here, who is looking to either establish a competitive enablement program within their company or looking to kind of broaden the scope of it and improve upon their competitive enablement program. What, like, where do you feel they need to start? And, and I guess too, like, why, yeah. why there? You have to start with sales. Like it's, it's, there's no question in my mind that building very close relationships and alignment and support for your sales team is that is in my mind, it's kind of job number one for, for a, a, a real competitive program. And it's for a lot of reasons. Um, I think tactically, uh, sales are what pay your bills, 
right? So it's kind of important to help them make money, right? So that the company performs like that is at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do, right? That's what a business kind of is. Um, but also like, I think, I think selfishly for the CI team, other than all the benefits of, you know, helping the company perform and everything. One question I get asked a lot is, well, how do we prove the, the ROI of CI and measuring your influence on sales is a, it's not that difficult to do. And it's a great way to actually show the ROI. Like, Hey, we influenced X amount of revenue, uh, this quarter, this year, you can look at things like benchmarking, right? So the deals that you supported, what were the close rates, the win rates, whatever for those versus, you know, like there's just a lot of different ways that you can get into proving ROI. Um, if you start with sales, right? Right. So if, if for anyone who's watching now or any organization where they don't necessarily aren't thinking about starting with sales or maybe they're, they're all today, they're really focused on enabling the executive or, or, or working right. with the strategy teams. It's kind of like, what would your advice be to them? You know, how do they, or I don't even, I'm not sure how they would even measure the ROI of that function today, other, either than yeah. like big swings and trying to determine what the ROI on those are. Yeah, totally. It's, it's hard. It's hard. I mean, I, I think, and, and to be honest, as, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, you know, as your competitive function matures, like you can't just stay in sales. So I'm not saying that there's no value, right? In a competitive team that's aligned to the executive team and strategy. I mean, there's, that's fun work, right? It feels really cool to do that kind of work and be in those kinds of conversations. But the thing that I find if you spend too much time on that is you lose, you lose touch with reality. You know, you might have an idea that sounds good, you know, in your conference room, but the field is where things actually happen. Right. That's where real customer conversations are happening. That's where they're really evaluating your products. And it's, it's where, frankly, a lot of the hypotheses that you come up with and strategic functions in your, you know, conference room in an office building are tested. That's where they're tested and they're either true or they're not. And so the, the closer you are with sales, with your customers, with the reality of all the crappy things that happen in the field, um, mm -hmm. that just makes you better. It just makes you better. It teaches you more and it should actually inform uh, the way that you approach strategy. Because if you come up with an idea that's going to improve your differentiation, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter to your customers or your sales team isn't going to be able to sell it, it, it doesn't matter. It's going to fail, right? So really, really important and really important to stretch beyond, um, you know, the strategy function and really think about competitive more holistically in the, in the organization. Yeah. And you kind of, earlier when we talked about this, you, you had talked about, you know, you might have an idea of what your differentiators are. You might have your messaging right. or your positioning, but you get into a deal and it's just so nuanced. Sometimes it's so yeah. specific to that and that things change a lot. So I, I guess like right. talk a little bit about that and, and how do you actually handle those situations? Absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, getting, and when I say working with sales, I mean like really partnering with them, right? Mm. I don't mean just, Hey, let's make sure that sales has the right talking points in case they're, you know, or doing like internal webinars or whatever. I mean like actually working with them on actual opportunities. But when you do that, you're faced with tons of objections that you never would have thought of. Right. I mean, that's the thing, right? When you're coming up with your sales play you're coming up with your competitive play, whatever, you're kind of assuming that there's a, you're kind of building like a segment in your mind of like, well, here's the target customer, here's the target use case. And 
if those are the constraints, then here's what we think will differentiate us, right? right. Um, but then you go and you actually see how that's brought to customers. And you also understand, like, even if you're not talking to the customer and you're just talking to the sales team about a deal, you know, you can find all these exceptions to things that you thought would be the reality with your competitive player, competitive message, right? Maybe it's a different buyer. Maybe they have a different, a totally different set of requirements, right? The value that they're looking for is not what you thought it would be. Um, there's just all sorts of different objections that kind of come up and it forces you to think, okay, you have to think through those, right? You have to think, oh, wow, we didn't even know that. Maybe we need to make an adjustment here. or Maybe we need to kind of come up with a, a bifurcation of our player, our differentiation, right? Where like for this use case or for this buyer, here's what it is. For this buyer, it's it's maybe these things. Like, because the, the reality is what I found, right, is real differentiation is incredibly nuanced, right? So although we have to do these things, we have to have like a competitive narrative, we have to have like, you know, here's the five things to always bring up in a deal against competitor X. The reality is that will never ever uh, encapsulate everything you need to do to win a deal, right? Differentiation is really more of a spectrum in my mind as opposed to these things all the time. And it's not until you're working with sales that you're gonna understand, okay, well, here's the scope of things that I could flex on in this deal or against this competitor, but um, you won't know which parts to really turn the dial up on and which parts to turn the dial down on, right? Um, mm. You'll never learn the nuance unless you're working and, and really partnering with your sales team. Yeah, that is, like one of the things we, we think a lot about too, and we always talk about it, it's like competitive deals, it's never like you win by a landslide. And who knows, maybe right. Salesforce you do in a lot of yours, but um, it's always so close. And so sure. deals come down to like converse, like a conversation or the way you handle the particular objection or a question about you versus a competitor. And so it does come down to the little things. And when those are so nuanced, like you really do need to be flexible. You need to be extremely knowledgeable. And maybe that kind of leads to my next question, which is, or maybe even a comment to just get your thoughts on it too. It's part of what I'm hearing from, from you is um, being involved in, in this kind of these deals and being involved in like the, the small kind of tactical part of it it's that that enables you to be able to step back and then make your broader decisions or make broader Absolutely. recommendations, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can also see very tactically where things aren't working, you know, in, in your go to market process or anything else. Right. I mean, that's the thing, like, you know, I, I see these as a couple, like you have to do all of them, honestly. Right. If you, if you want to do a mature competitive intelligence function where you, almost have like competitive superpowers. Like you, you can't just have one lane. So obviously you're starting out, you need a place to start. You're building a CI function. You're in a startup. You guys are growing really quick. Definitely do, do, uh, sales. But I always think of things in terms of like time scales of where this impact needs to take place. Right. So, you know, you're going to go work on deals to help you make your quarter, you know, to help the company make the quarter, right? There's certain decisions or things that you need to do to help the company make the year. And there's other things that you have to do to make sure the company hits their goals in like, you know, three years, right? Unless you are operating at all those different altitudes of both like strategy and sales, you're never gonna be able to accomplish that. And the reality is, depending on the nature of competition, um, especially if things are very diverse and you have like a lot of different kinds of competitors, there are different buttons you're going to have to press against each of those. And some, some motions will be more appropriate than others. Right. Um, 
But unless you know the tactical detail of what really happens in the field, none of the lofty things that you want to do that are, will be, you know, these cool strategy things and in three years will manifest. If you don't know the detail of where that could break down in the field, then you're not informing the strategy. Cause the thing is, right. I mean, what's the quote? It's like strategy without execution is basically nothing. Right. And that's the thing that we think about a lot when we're having these strategic discussions, it's not just, okay, here's a decision that we want to make. Here's a direction we want to go in, but how are we going to make that happen? You know, what are the obstacles that are going to get in our way? And if you don't consider those very tactical, like detail, you know, even things like how are your sales teams incented to sell, right? right. What things they get paid for? What are they like not understanding, like the behavior of sales teams or the behavior of your customers, you're, it's never going to happen. Mm. When you're in, for you and your role, when you're in a board meeting or when you're, when you're in those more strategic executive level type meetings, yeah. I'd imagine you're pulling, not from on thinking that you do in a dark room by yourself, you're pulling from yeah. things that you're hearing in sales meetings, on calls. Yeah. I, I think maybe it's a cultural thing uh, for Salesforce. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, a, a, a really strong uh, piece of evidence from a specific customer, a specific deal uh, will go a long way to making your point, right? Um, yeah. It's and again, I, I'm not sure if that's if it's that's unique to us, right? We're a very story driven, a very customer driven uh, kind of culture. Customer anecdotes are, are very, very important to us and customer validation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you have to know the detail. You know, you have to know all that detail from real accounts, or else you don't have credibility. I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, that's that's a, a big reason why I think so much about working closely with sales teams is it, 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 it boosts your credibility. It makes sure that when, you know, when you are making recommendations, they're relevant, you know, they're specific and they're something you can actually do. And right. you, if you don't have insight into sales, it, you're going to miss one of those three, you know, buckets. And if, in my mind, if your recommendations are not, um, relevant, specific and actionable, it, it's, you're going to fail and your credibility is gone and, you know, good luck next time. Right. So then you talked about this earlier about partnering. Um, you know, I think sometimes when people think about enabling sales, there's like a limited kind of scope of what they're thinking about. And you mm -hmm. think of it as going, you know, the, I guess the way you think about it is partnering. Talk a little bit about the difference or what you see a lot of product marketers doing versus, you know, the, the way that you think they should. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's see. How much time do we have here? Um, <laughs> I, I, so I think that there's a mindset sometimes where we get too wrapped up in the, the how of enabling sales teams, you know, okay, we do this, these events, we run these plays, we have this many people looking at it. We do, you know, this, this, whatever. Right. And we make sure that people are showing up to the webinars. And as long as we do that, they'll be enabled. Right. But it's like, that's what you have. I to mean, do, right? Isn't that how yeah, you do it? right. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> table stakes. You, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. You have to know how many people are going to go to your webinar. You have to know how many people are reading your content. Like, okay. But in order to make it effective, you have to go beyond that. You have to really think about like, is this really the right message in general? Like, what do our, is this even going to work? Are we saying this the right way? Or what do our sales teams even think about this? Right. Sometimes there's this tendency just to like push stuff out 
to your distribution team versus like kind of working with them and partnering on what it should be and getting their feedback and like to a level of detail though, you know, cause again, right. detail is where this stuff falls apart. So that's, that's like one really big part of it in my mind on like partnering with sales is like working with them instead of at them. Um, but at the same time too, like, especially in a big company, um, well, at least a big company like ours, there's no shortage of people trying to push out messages to the sales team to tell them what to do or say, you know? Right. I mean, we have how many big product lines at Salesforce? I mean, every product line is trying to compete for that mind share internally. And so if you want your message to really be heard, like partnering with sales is a way that we cut through a lot of the noise because there's, there's too much noise. There's way too much noise. And I guess if you were to explain it in, in a kind of tactical way, what does partnering with sales look like? I, I think it's bringing them into the process. I mean, it, well, it's, it's a couple things, right? It's, it's a bit of a flywheel in my mind because the thing about uh, working directly with sales on deals, like I'll get competitive teams that I'm like, hey, do you guys do individual deal support and coaching? They're like, no, like we don't have time for that. It doesn't scale. I'm like, yeah, but actually, if you think about it another way, it does scale because the first place that our uh, sales teams will go if they have questions about competition is, is themselves. They'll ask their team, they'll ask their manager, they'll ask other people on the team, right? So if we can work with them and build the relationships with the sales teams by getting in there and working on individual deals, yeah, that like that relationship that we have and the credibility that we build on the ground, I'm not talking just with the leadership team, I mean, I mean actual AEs and SEs and whatnot, those relationships allow us the opportunity to partner with them. Cause first of all, they know, they're probably going to listen to what we say more, right? It'll stand out. And number two, because we know all these people, we can kind of bring them into the process very easily. You know, we can reach out to people on Slack and be like, Hey, we're doing this thing. What do you think? You have like 15 minutes to check this out. And they feel like instead of it again, being something that's just being pushed out to them of mm -hmm. like, Hey, if you only said these things, you would win, you know, they right. actually get to kind of, have a discussion and have their perspective heard and they can see their fingerprints all over the work that ends up being put out. So, um, but I, I, I really do think it's about how do you, how you cultivate these relationships. That's the foundational step. And that becomes a flywheel for so many other things that you want to do from a competitive standpoint. I think that's, that's so, it's such a great perspective. Like I think, yeah, there, there's, I'm sure there's so many people who, you know, you create your battle card, you, you kind of have your talk tracks and, and then it's, you push it out there and, and, you know, great, I'm done. But it's, it's really like going the extra step or not even the extra step, the required step to make sure that when you're looping them into the process, you're working with them to actually help roll these things out and, and you're there to support. And it becomes, like you said, a partnership versus, you know, I like that you said working with them versus like talking at them. Yeah, so, for sure. And yeah. I just, I just think that like the mindset that you have to take to this as a competitive, uh, intelligence professional or whatever is, um, like you're, you're competing for mindshare with your sales team, you know, and you're competing for credibility, especially in a huge, in your big company, but even in a smaller one. Um, yeah. so what can you do to, to rise above and kind of stand apart from all the other stuff? Like, I think too often I'll hear people like, Oh, you know, we put this stuff out and no one's looking at it or, you know, if they would only look at our content, then we would win deals. So let's find ways to look, have them look at our content more. Let's send them more emails. Let's send them more slacks. It's like, no, that's not the way that you're going to get them to look at your content or pay attention. 
they're going to know who you are. They're going to know that you're there to help them. They're going to know that you're more to them than just someone who's going to write another white paper battle card that they have to read, you know, and that's, yeah. that's, that's been really helpful for us. Yeah. I think that, I, I think that's a great, such a great point. Like, I think it's the relationship side. I think a lot of people who are on, you know, in the compete function or in product marketing, sometimes they don't want to work with sales. Like it's just more of a, you know, that relationships are sometimes stressed. And I think it's, yeah, it's a relationship you got to foster and, and make a strong one. You know, I would add to that though. I, I think it's, I mean, there's, there's certainly probably part of that, but I, th I, I hear from a lot of people, like, I don't have time for that. Right. You know, like that's not scalable. I'm going to go meet with, with teams that talk about one deal. Like that's crazy. <laughs> that's not scalable at all. And my counter is it ends up being a more effective way to scale. Because as I said earlier, like, the, these teams are going to go to each other, you know, right. that's where they go first. And, you know, if, so if you help that one team and you go the distance with them and you help them win this like really hard one competitive deal that everyone celebrates, number one, you're making your job easier because you know, the details of a really important competitive opportunity. You can take those learnings and use them to other ones, right? Very easily. Right. But also number two, I mean, as soon as we win a really gnarly competitive deal like that, Everyone in the organization wants to talk to that team. Everyone with an open deal against that competitor is like, oh, how, how did you do it? How did you, like, oh my God, that was amazing. And you allow them to start telling that story that they've learned by doing, by partnering with your team, right? right. And that's the way that this ends up scaling. It's almost like a word of mouth uh, kind of scale versus like the official like, hey, how many people viewed my you know battle card uh, today kind of thing. That's awesome. Dan, I, I, we could talk about this forever. Yeah, I, um, we could. We could. I, I know we got to, so we want to leave time for questions. So yep. we'll, uh, we'll hop into the Q and A. Anyone stick around for sure. Dan and I will be in the Q and A. You can ask Dan questions. Um, I'm sure he has a ton more to share. And, uh, but Dan, thanks so much for hopping on and doing this. I know you're busy, oh, absolutely. busy man and I really appreciate it. No, thanks for having me. I mean, I'm really excited about what you guys are doing and, uh, you know, I always love having these kinds of conversations. So much appreciated. Always a pleasure. Awesome. All right. Cool. See everyone out there. Cheers. Okay. So let's get to our first question, Dan. First one is, how would you address seasoned, experienced AEs who feel they know how to compete and don't revisit your content versus a new AE who is eager and hungry for your assets and guidance? Oh man, that's a starting with a banger. Thank you, Paul Senatore. Much appreciated. Um, I think it depends. Like my attitude is kind of one where um, if people aren't, if like I have a season team that's not consuming everything that we're putting out, like I don't get stressed about it. Um, I've I've always found that they eventually will come around. They'll learn and. Um, what's going to happen is there's going to end up being separation between the reps in that segment that do learn and do partner with us and the ones that don't, right? And I think, you know, the combination of like building trust, even with seasoned folks that do want to help, the way that that gets you into the leadership team, like there's a lot of different ways to exert pressure that way. But generally, like I just, I'm, I'm kind of more of like a, you know, we're going to provide these things for you. And if you don't take advantage of them and you end up losing, like, okay, then, you know, we'll be here. We'll be here. We'll be ready to help you. Um, versus, you know, I think the, uh, the, the younger, the younger crowd, I mean, I, or maybe the less seasoned crowd. Um, I don't know. I, I think we apply a lot of the same practices though. Cause you also, I mean, in my experience, there's also a lot of like, 
relatively young folks that like want to learn, but are also like over their skis and maybe also don't want to engage with your content. So that's why like, to me, that, that thread of like, just really focusing on partnering with them and like really trying to get into deals with them ends up being the solution for, for both sides. Yeah. I like that. Is there a way when tactically even today, when you have, you talked about one of the things you do is you're sharing say big wins that you've had and you kind of, you know, using that as an opportunity to kind of, um, yeah, create excitement around the team or even like promote the, the way that you help tactically, like, what does that look like? Like, what are some of those ways where you'll, you'll kind of share those wins across the sales team and then hopefully provide, you know, let the others know that, Hey, we're here to help. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if we have any kind of secret sauce there. I mean, there's a lot of things obviously that we do that probably a lot of folks do, you know, we have pretty active channels in Slack that we try and, you know, curate very closely, or we'll go into wherever the conversation is for our different sales teams. There's other interesting things that we've done tactically with like trying to automate some of this, right? So, um, you know, depending on which CRM system you have, there's different ways to do like automated workflows to actually send out specific snippets, whether it's a recent deal win or a quick three minute interview that you've done with an AE who recently won a deal and send those out like proactively to folks that might be in an open deal against competitor X, Y, or Z. So I think like tactically that's helped. And then I think, you know, the other thing too is um, because we generally have a good connection with, with the leadership team, you know, how we talk about how like we work with the executive team and like in the field that also gives us the ability to share those wins with, maybe a higher level audience than would normally be exposed to them, right? There's nothing better than, you know, starting a Slack, you know, post or, you know, whatever at mentioning the right people in leadership and then having them congratulate the rep individually. Like that can be very affirming and very helpful for them. And so that's, that, that kind of stuff usually works well for us. That's cool. Yeah. The, one of the, the comments you made there about um, the automation and, and kind of talking about specific deals. I know I, I'd heard a story from one company who, who has an internal podcast and every week they go through and they actually interview the, the rep who closed that deal and kind of go through the nuances of the deal. I thought that was a really cool way to do it too. Yeah. too, And, and I think also, um, you know, I, for a really large organization like ours, um, what you also see is with each of the individual sales teams and sales organizations, like they might already have their own process, you know, like, they might, there might be one team over here that's doing that. There might be another one that's copying something like, you know, like I've seen stuff copying like that hot went hot ones segment right on YouTube, right? Where we're eating hot sauce and talking about how we won a really cool deal. So there's also like, depending on the sales teams, you, you also want to tap into what the unique culture is of that team um, and whatever like processes and whatever they have to, to scale that up too. Because I also find that, especially again, given we have a very diverse sales force, lots of different groups, uh, the more that we can, work within their culture instead of being this other outside thing that's trying to like push ourselves on them that that also ends up being very effective for us too nice love that um <clears throat> let's get to our next question here what are some practical ways to engage with sales teams and learn more about their won and lost deals to really capture the intel from them yeah i mean um so in terms of like practical guidance like i guess the first thing is just don't be afraid to just ask them. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I, I think sometimes there's almost like a hesitancy, like, oh, you know, they're probably so busy and I don't want to, you know, whatever. I, I think that's kind of step one uh, is just ask them. But I think the other thing too is 
you know, it kind of goes back to that whole flywheel kind of concept, right? Like if you're building credibility by working directly with your sales teams and that's going to make them want to speak to you, right? It'll be, it'll make it so that like you're one of those 50 Slack messages they get that day that they're actually going to prioritize. Um, but I think like the last thing too is um, think about how you communicate all the findings from these, you know, interviews or whatever research you do, like definitely find a way to make sure your sales team is part of that process. Like don't just take win-loss deals and, and insights, for example, and set it up to leadership. You got to, you got to, send that to everybody. I mean, you might have to adjust it, right? You might have to blind some stuff out if it's a loss, but um, make sure that they know what's coming out of this. And I think it, it, those kinds of things together, like that's, that's tended to work pretty well for us. That's nice. Um, along the same line of questioning, one from Jacob here is how do you get sales reps to buy into bringing you in on deal support? Like, I think, yeah, there's, I think for, for CI teams, you know, it's it, and product marketing teams too, it's, even identifying those opportunities when you can get involved in a deal, unless someone's coming and asking you to, to come in on a specific deal. Like how, how do you make that happen? Well, I mean, as you probably imagine, we live in our CRM system. So we have a pretty good handle on like what our pipeline looks like and, you know, what the deals are against competitor X, Y, or Z, you know? And, and so we, we spend a lot of time looking at those reports uh, and those kinds of analytics, just so we have a sense of like from a data standpoint, what's happening. Um, and then uh, a lot of the work that we'll try and do is proactive. You know, we'll we'll just reach out. You know, we'll, we'll see that there's a deal open. And if no one's come to us yet, we'll be like, hey, like, come here from the competitive team. We know a lot about this competitor. Like, we'd love to help you however we can. We've helped these other teams, you know, whatever. Um, so that that on the ground has helped. And then again, I, I think um, as you do this kind of work, you get access and credibility with the leadership team. And then they're going to tell the folks on their team about you like oh you have a competitive deal have you reached out to the competitive team yet why not right you kind of become part of that process yeah i love that yeah it goes back to, to like sharing your wins the more people who know about the work that you're doing with some of the other reps they'll want to bring you in on theirs i like that yeah. all right i think we got time for one more question got one here from robert do you uh -huh. <laughs> do your reps ask for collateral like feature charts or could you speak to how you've changed how sellers think about what competitive content is going to be most useful for them? Yes, this is a great question. This is something that we get all the time. Uh, people are always asking for this kind of stuff. So um, the, the first thing that I do is I'm very honest when these requests come up. I'm like, you could do this, but if you do this, you're going to lose, right? Um, it's just, to me, that is falling into this competitive trap, this buyer trap. And really what we're trying to do is change a conversation away from those feature checklist based kinds of comparisons, especially for a very like sophisticated, you know, kind of platform kind of motion. Um, but again, the, the first thing is really just that honesty. It's not that like, oh yeah, you know, we can try and do this, whatever, whatever. Uh, but it's just the honesty, like this is, you're probably going to lose if we do this. And then the other part is just engaging with them to help them change the mindset, right? So what I'll do, it's funny, a lot of times when I'll get on a call, let's say I'm on a 30-minute call with an account team about a deal, 20 minutes of that is me doing discovery with them. And so I'll use that discovery to get them to change their mind, right? I'll kind of use that as like, well, what about this? Tell me about the use case. What exactly are they trying to do? Like, who are you talking to? What are the, and, and if you kind of help reorient them, I actually had a call, but like just this morning, actually had a call that was just about this. 
And that, that process for me has always been really helpful. Like, again, start with the transparency and the honesty, but detail into the, like dig deep into the details and use discovery yourself to try and help that, that team uh, figure out where they should really be going and what they should be doing. And, and a lot of times I'll try and leave those calls with a set of questions that that rep needs to go back and, and find out for themselves or ask them. And then, you know, we'll have a follow-up call if needed, but that, that usually is, has helped me. Yeah. And that's interesting. So then for, for your team too, are you going the, the next step to help them kind of like build that messaging or build those, I don't know whether it's a deck they present or a piece of collateral they provide, like, or are you kind of saying, Hey, here's where, here's the direction you need to go in and then say they're going and figuring it out. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it depends, you know, it depends on, um, how much we need to prioritize this opportunity compared to all the other work that we're doing, right? We do try and maintain certain blinded customer facing stuff. So like, we're never gonna build a deck that's like, here's why competitor A is awful and why we're great, right? We're never gonna talk about that. Um, but what we do do is we try and curate lists. So for example, across our product portfolio, we have all sorts of different marketing materials and first call decks and, and whatever. And we'll try and like curate a version of that by competitor with very specific things from our existing marketing material that specifically speak to opportunities that we have or advantages that we have and also blunt some of the uh, the gaps that we might have. And so that's the way that we'll usually do it. But generally like we'll, we'll, we'll advise unless it's a very, very important strategic deal that we can afford to prioritize. Uh, and, you know, I think that's part of it too is, you know, for the really big deals, the ones that are going to end up being talked about at company kickoff next year when they're one, you want to go all the way on those. Like we never have a problem prioritizing whatever we need to do for them because they're just so important. And they're also important in terms of scale, building our brand, our credibility and whatnot. That's awesome. Well, Dan, thanks again. Really appreciate your time today. Um, a ton of great insights here. Thanks for joining us. And uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. Appreciate it. And we'll, we'll see you all in the next one.